My name is Zach Thompson. I am on staff here at Calvary. So glad to be back with you all this Sunday. It was good to get away this past week and this past weekend to to get to be with other campus pastors within our denomination, uh, to get to steal ideas from them and and get refreshed and to also to steal ideas from them. Uh, It was was a really good time, uh, but glad to be back, glad to be continuing in our series together. We're going through the book of James, uh, and we are doing a series that we call A Mark it up, which is why we have those scripture journals for you on the way in. We want to draw connections, highlight, underline, circle things as, as we go through this letter together. We see James is written by James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus. He was uh, one of the, the leaders of the Jewish Christian church in Jerusalem, and he is writing to Jewish Christians spread throughout all the world. These are people who know the gospel. They know about Jesus, and uh, he is writing to show what are they then to do? How do they live for him? And the flow of thought, we, we got to the first week where we saw we are to consider it, to count it, to think about it as joy when we go through trials, when we go through difficulty. Last week, we saw the tool, the resource that we have in those times to call out to God for wisdom, to know what to do, who gives generously to all. This isn't that we become smarter than other people or we get some sort of like hermetic order type special knowledge, but it's a break away from our instincts. When things are difficult, I want to run away. I want to try to fix it. I want to cry out. I I want to try to find things that help me cope. And yet we're told to turn to God who shows us the good and better way to go through trials. As we get to our passage today in verses 9 through 12, we see some of those various trials, that of poverty and wealth. We see that there are different ways of responding to money, that we can see it as a way to gain or to give away, as a way to become self-reliant or to continue to turn to this God that we ask for wisdom from. That's a means of of showing a trust or, or a lack of trust. And yet the passage is very clear that it's not money itself that is the issue. One of the misquoted passages, the most misquoted passages of the Bible is, uh, money is the root of evil. That's not what the Bible says. The love of money is the root of all evil. And that's what our, our passage says. How we respond to these different situations makes all the difference. Because there are trials, there are various trials for those who have a lot of it and and none at all, those who are going through wealth and poverty. Now, I know what you might be thinking because I thought about it. You know, if there's trials for both, why don't I just take the trials that come with money? You know, God, if I'm going to have to go through these, you might as well just give me the money too. And that's why the passage spends so much time on the warning for those who are wealthy. Not because it's worse or that their trials are are more significant, but so often our, our instinct goes to, well, money will get rid of all these things. But it shows us that wealth is fleeting, that it's like a wildflower that will burn up, that it's something that will will go away. It is temporary. Our passage essentially says, uh, forget about poverty, forget about possessions. Your connection to Jesus is most important. Hey, we don't have much time this morning, let alone to spend any more on 9 through 12, but we'll come back to these verses when we get to chapter 2, which has some similarity. So that's one of the various trials, but 
but it's a different way of thinking than we normally have when we approach money. Consider ourselves exalted when we don't have it. Make, make it less significant than, than my instinct tells me, but I, I have a family. I want to provide for my family, and money can help me do that. I, I have needs, and, and wealth can help me feel a little bit more secure. Without it, I, I might have to beg or steal or borrow, and, and surely it's better to avoid those things where I can. And as we've been working through this section of James, it, it, it runs contrary to how we respond. Count it all joy and difficulty. Turn to God rather than, than trying to fix the situation that we're in. Consider money in this way. And this question starts to come up of, is this really worth it? This way of thinking that James is calling us to have, is this truly the better way that we're called to live? And it seems like James anticipates that question as we get to chapter 1, verse 12. Is this truly a better way? We'll look at verse 12. It says, blessed. So already, right at the beginning, we have a, a sort of a benefit. The one who thinks in this way is blessed. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. There's more to chapter 12, but then we'd have to turn the page of our scripture journals, and we'll save that for later. But as we read this, blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. I, I want to spend some time on this phrase, steadfast under trial. Because when we read that, that might make us think to what we've read earlier. It sounds very similar to what we saw in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. So let's go back there. Uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, count it all joy, or dare we say, consider yourself blessed. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials. So trials, this is a word that we see in both of those two passages. It, it links them together. When we meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing, another link word between them, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So what we see in this section of James is that there's this, this bit of a progression. As we come across difficulty, as we come across these times that are trials, how are we to live through them? How are we to acknowledge them? How are we to think about these things? And James presents this kind of progression of how we are to go through it. There is a response there is a recognizing that something is being produced, so there is a product, and there is a result. So response, product, result. And as we read this passage, we see that we are to respond with joy. So in the midst of these trials, we respond with joy. Well, why do we do that? Because we love pain? That's just our favorite thing ever? No, no, it's because we recognize that this is a time of testing, that God is working in these moments. Now, we talked about testing. This isn't God prodding us with a stick to see if we have any faith within us, to see what we will do, but it is a time of growing. It is a time of refining. It is stripping away all else for us to grow in faith and trust of Him. 
So we respond with joy because we see God is working in these times, not absent from them. We see God is drawing us closer to him, not us going further away. So we respond with joy because we see that there is a product, it is a time of testing, which has a result of being perfect. Day by day, we become more and more like him until the day we stand before him in the new heavens and the new earth made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, just as he is himself. So we see this progression in the first bit of James of how we respond to trials. Now, verse 12 had something similar. So there is a response, which we will skip for the time being, you know, for heightened and dramatic effect. But there is a response of how we're supposed to react in these trials. And just like we respond with joy in verse 2, uh, we have a response here because we recognize that something is being done. There is a product, and that as well is this test. It is a time of growing closer to God. It is a time of drawing near to Him. And the result of going through this test is receiving this crown of life. Now, really interesting uh, phrase, crown of life. A couple different ways that we can read this. We can hear it as like an actual crown, but then it's, what does the life part have to do? Is it like a living crown that we put on? Does it like wiggle and move around? That's, that's a little strange. Uh, I, I think a better way to read this is uh, a crown that is life. So the life is itself the crown. It, let me try to explain this. And so uh, we have other phrases that work like this. Think of the gift of hospitality. When I say the gift of hospitality, do I mean that there is a physical present? Like it's all wrapped, there's a bow around it, a little tag saying who it's for. Is that what I mean when I say the gift of hospitality? No, no. hospitality is the gift. In the same way, crown of life, life is itself the crown. Those who go through this, those who respond in this way, who see this as a time of testing, receive life, perfect, eternal life with our good God who gives this to us. Now, who is it that gets this? What is the response that we're called to do? Well, look at our passage. Blessed is the man or woman who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he or she will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Who receives this crown? What is our response in the midst of these trials? It is to grow in love for our God. It is to grow in love and closeness to him. Yes, there is endurance. Yes, there is trust in him. Yes, there is a growing closer to him, but none of this is possible unless we are growing in love for him, unless our primary focus, our primary response in all things is love for God. It's, it's a really important piece, and we'll get back to it again at the end, but I, I need to move on from just verse 12 if we want to get out of here in slightly less than three hours. So how are we to respond in this? It's with love for God, seeing that this is a time of testing which results in us uh, gaining this, this life, this crown of life. 
So we started with the question, is this mindset, is this mentality truly worth it? Is this really the better way for us to live? Well, as we look at what's been done in, in uh, James 1 so far, with the response of how we're to, to live, when seeing this as a product, is this truly a better way? James would say yes, because look at what the result is for those who go through this. Those who grow in joy in these trials, those who grow in love for God, who see this as a time of testing, those and those alone are the ones who are made perfect day by day, fully in the end. Those and those alone are the ones who receive life, perfect, eternal life with our good God. Is this a better way? What well, is the only way that we receive that result? Well, there is that question. What about when I don't do this? What about the times when I don't respond with joy? What about the times when love for God is hard? What, what about when there are other things that I desire other than God or more than God? What about those moments? Well, let's continue in our passage. Verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted... I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You know those times in movies or TV shows where uh, the, the character comes to a fork in the road? There's a path that goes off this way and another path that goes off this other direction. Uh, They have a clear indicator where they have to choose one of these and it's going to make all the difference in the world. It always makes me think of a goofy movie, which I don't know if, if any of you have seen it, but there's this big decision, this moral conflict, and it's coming down to which road will he choose? And he says, left, and then there's disappointment and, and regret and all this stuff. It's fantastic. Uh, but in these times, we have the, this decision. Do I take this path or do I take this other path? And James is presenting two different paths for us to take, two different ways that we can respond to difficulty, to other things coming around us, two different roads that we can go down. Before, we had the language of uh, test, the language of test right here, but now we are changing our language to that of tempt. Uh, In fact, we'll, we'll make it much more dramatic. We'll change to red to tempt. So we have these two different paths. Do we see this this trial as one, sorry, I meant to do that. Do we see this as a time of trial where God is testing us to grow closer to him? Or do we see this as a time of temptation where we could go further away from him? And would that it were so simple as to see it as two different roads where we can walk down one or the other that they're clearly labeled. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have road signs in these times? This one is clearly temptation. This one is clearly a trial. We should choose the trial one. But it's not that simple. And James explains to us why it is not that simple. It's not always so easy to recognize that one of them is good for us and for our benefit, and the other one is is pulling us further away from God. And he does this by giving us another map, another way of of going, another response, product, and results. 
And we see that in verse 14. It says, but each person is tempted when? When he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So it all starts with desire. Now, desire can be a good thing. There are so many wonderful things that I desire. When we talked about money, that, that there is a desire to, within me to provide for my family, that there is a desire within me to care and show love to others. And, and there's desires that come even outside of money. I have this feeling in my stomach, so I have a desire to get rid of hunger. I have a desire for my wife. I have a desire to rest and recharge. We, we all have these desires, and, and none of us would say that those are bad things. And our passage does not say that desire is a bad thing. Instead, it is when we are lured and enticed by those desires. Having desires is great. We are made for those things, and we'll, we'll talk about that throughout. But it's when we are lured and enticed by our desires that things can get difficult. These, these words here, lured and enticed, they come to us from uh, fishing and hunting, respectively. So I have this desire, and I am lured by it. I am hooked and taken away. I have this desire and I'm enticed by it, going, drawing closer and closer to this trap that has been baited for me. In both of these, the image is that we are prey. We are victims. We are mice nibbling on cheese, completely oblivious to the bar swinging towards us. That when we are going down, when we have these desires, it is the pursuit, it is giving fully into it, it's letting them have more time and space in our lives. It is pursuing them more than anything else. It is when we are enticed by them. That is our response. It is when that happens that we start down a dangerous path. Now, this is different than how we often think about our desires, there's the, unless if I have what I want, what I desire, then, well, I can never be happy. That if I'm not pursuing my desires, then, well, then I'm not going to be truly myself. Like, what other response do I have? The heart wants what it wants. And we have this other response as well, thinking that we're much more in control, in control uh, lured and enticed. No, 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 I can control these things. I can stop whenever I want. A little bit never hurt anyone. What's the harm in trying? Well, we see that the path when we are enticed by them is one where we are not in control whatsoever. And there's also this mentality that it's never our desires that are the problem, it's the thing itself. You see, I don't have a problem, it's just whenever I'm around chocolate. I don't have a problem, it's just these people need to stop dressing the way they do. I don't have a problem it's just, if I just had a little bit more money. I don't have a problem. I, I, just, I just act that way sometimes when I'm stressed or angry. Well, what does our passage say? That each one is, is, uh, each one is tempted when some external thing is around us? Each one is tempted when it's someone else's fault? No, no, each one is tempted when they are lured and enticed by his own desire. 
something already inside of us, something that is part of us, something that we want. When we give it more space and room, when we pursue that over anything else, when that becomes our focus, when we are enticed, that starts us down this dangerous path. Because what is the product? When we are enticed by this sin, or by, by this desire, spoilers, I already said it, it produces sin. And the result of that, it tells us, is death. It's different than how we think of our desires, but we see in the same way that James gave us the progression earlier of how we respond in difficulty as we continue to feed our desires, well, there is only one result in that case, and that is one that takes us towards death. So as we see what happens when we don't respond in this way, when we don't respond with joy or love for God, when we don't see that these are times of testing where God is growing us, refining us, and the result of that is life, perfect life. When we view these times as trials, we see that they are for our good with a greater result than anything else that we could produce. But in the times that we go through temptation, when we are enticed by our desires, it produces sin, which results in death. Another question that can come out of this, we, we see God is working in these trials, these things that we react, we say, these are not good things, I don't want to be going through them, but God is working in the midst of them to bring us closer to himself. Well, Temptation is not a good thing. Is God working in the midst of that? Well, look at how James responds. He says, uh, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. You ever notice how you don't have to say, let no one say, when no one is actually saying it? Let no one say ice cream is not delicious. Uh, who's making that point? It is only when people are saying it that we have to say, let no one say. So, for example, uh, if we had a sign up in here that said, uh, no dirt bikes in the worship center, we don't need to have that sign up if there's not an issue. But James is saying this because we all say this. In the times that we recognize that we are further away from God than we want, that, that we are going down this route that is painful and hurts, well, we respond in a variety of ways. We blame the thing. Uh, it's not my fault. It's, it's this thing that's in my life. We blame others. Oh, the devil made me do it. And we blame God. God, you are the one who is tempting me. And yet James is making it very clear that God is not tempted by anyone and he himself, uh, he himself does not tempt others. In the midst of difficulty, it's easy to see that this thing has, has caused me pain, so this must not be good. Consider trials with joy, but these things are, are, are often causing me to turn away from him. Clearly, these trials are bad, and God must be cruel. But James is saying God does not tempt. He does not do this. Difficulty might lead people. Uh, difficulty might tempt us to sin, but God does not. 
Difficulty might tempt us to sin, but God does not. Because just think about it. When are we most likely to turn away from Him? When are we most likely to turn to other things? Well, it's when we are at our worst, when things are most hard, when are people most desperate. It's when circumstances are, are the worst that they've gone through. And it's easy to say if God is bringing uh, these trials to us to grow us that we might see God as the one who is tempting us to turn away from him. But James says, no, no, no. God is the one who is producing this testing, giving us everything we need to endure, to grow closer to him, to seek wisdom from him. And yet what we have in us is this desire to turn away from him that we often find ourselves doing that in the midst of difficulty. Difficulties might tempt us to sin, but God is not the one who is doing that. That is our own desires. This, this point is so important for us to get that James doubles down on it. That, that's what I think is going on in verses 16 through 18. He says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So every good gift, every perfect gift comes from God. This means every good thing that we have comes directly from him. And so why would God tempt us to choose something lesser? If every good thing comes from him, why would he tempt us to go after, to desire things that are worse for us, that are worse for, from, than him? Every good thing we have comes from him. Our families, our friends, our quirks, the way that we reflect him, our passions, our money, our possessions, the experience of freedom that we got with our first car, the 1983 Honda Prelude when we were 16 that we totaled six months afterwards. Every good thing that we have comes from him. And we see this in how God is referred to in this passage. Uh, he is given the name here as the Father of Lights, in creation, God said, let there be light. And have we ever considered how much of a blessing, how much of a good and perfect gift that is to us? It is by the lights that we are able to do most of our favorite things that we want to do. It is by the lights that we can grow food and be nourished by it. It is by the lights that we can use our creativity and create little lights of our own. It is by the lights that we have learned to wear sunglasses, which are by far the best accessory there is. Every good, good and perfect gift that we have comes from God. He is not this one who is tempting us. He is actually this one who is working all things for good, for his glory, to make himself known. There is so much that is said about God's character what he is like throughout this passage. We see that God is good. We see that God is a giver. We see that God does not tempt. We see that God does not change. Like the lights that move, he is static. He is not influenced by other things. He is permanent. And I think there's a reason why James is showing us 
so many of these characteristics of God. We're presented with two ways that we can go, two different paths that we can take. And like we joked about, wouldn't it be wonderful if these were labeled? Wouldn't it be wonderful if these were, were, had street signs on them? This thought comes into our mind, is this uh, me being enticed by desire or is this a time that God is working to draw me close to him? All we have to do is check the tag on it. Is this a trial or a temptation? But we don't have that. So how then do we respond? How do we prepare for these times of temptation? Well, what have we seen throughout James so far? Consider it all joy. Think about it in this way. Have this mindset. In our passage today, it said, do not be deceived. Do not have this wrong mindset. It is what we are thinking about. It is what we set our mind on. It is what is going on in our head. It is how we think about this that will dictate which path we will go down which results we will end up with. It is our mindset in these times. You see, whether we know it or not, our beings are always answering the question of what do I value most? What do I value most? We are making a decision, whether it's conscious or otherwise, of emphasizing what we value, what we are placing our affection in. So am I full of the goodness and glory of God or do I think that this other thing that I desire is better? Am I content with who God has called me to be or do I think I can find this fulfillment elsewhere? What do I desire most? We are answering that question one way or another. And if it's our mindset that makes this decision if it's what we are focusing on that does that, we need to pause and not just answer this on autopilot. We need to actually ask these questions. Not out loud, I found that out the hard way, but we need to ask these questions to ourselves. What do I value most and does this help me get there? Does this help me get to that point? As we are going through these things, what do I value most? Does this help me get there? It's a great way to see, is this going down a path where I see this as trials, where God is working to bring me closer to himself, or is this a way that I'm going down temptation, giving in to my own sinful desires? Thomas Chalmers, a 19th century Scottish minister, once gave this famous sermon on uh, the expulsive power of a new affection. Uh, the, the idea basically is this. So how do I get rid of these desires that eventually take me to sin and death? Well, we find a new, stronger desire. We have a new affection which expels or gets rid of these other desires. So how do we follow this way of going, seeing this as trials rather than temptations? How do we pursue God rather be enticed by our own desires? Will we find this new affection? We are all trying to latch ourselves onto, onto things, which is how we can get into trouble, but it's also how we can find hope as we seek to latch ourselves to God instead. Chalmers gives uh, two basic ways for how we can do this, how we can find this new affection to get rid of the, the old. 
And the first way is to see that this desire is a lesser desire. It will run out. It will need to be replenished. It will be temporary. I will need to have stronger and stronger doses as I become more tolerant of it. So as we are going through these things, as we have these desires, we can see that they are lesser than any other desire. So as we're asking these questions, what do I desire most? Does this help me get there? What happened last time? To remind ourselves of that. We always get this trap of this will be better for me. Well, what happened last time? Was it truly better? Did it truly fulfill or did it run out? Did it leave us feeling hollow afterwards? What happened last time? Which helps us see that it is a lesser desire. Chalmers' second way that he gives us is to see that God is greater. To see that who he has made us to be is better than any plans that we could possibly make. That who he is is better than anything else that we could pursue. That what he says is good for us is truly better than anything that we can create. That what God has produced is better than our own, the work of our own hands. And here's the difficulty, though, and it comes at the expense of work security for me, uh, which is a problem because I have a desire to provide for my family, but I, I can't preach this in to anyone. I cannot force you to see that this is true. I cannot make you desire God more than anything else. I can't do that. There, there's no amount of words that I can underline or, or circle or anything like that that can create this. But I think this is why James spends so much of this passage showing us who is God, what is he like, what's his character. Because in the times that we have these desires that run contrary to him, we need to be reminded of why he is greater. So while I can't preach this end to anyone, we can put ourselves into a situation where we can see God's glory, his magnificence, his goodness, his faithfulness, that we can come alongside each other and pray and, and bring difficulties like what's going on in this world to him, that we can praise him and sing songs together, that we can come alongside other people who are doing similar things as us and, and find hope and be directed towards him. That while I can't force this in anyone, that we can be constantly reminded of his goodness to war against these desires that so easily ensnare, entrap, entice us. So as we're asking these questions, what do I value most? Does this help me get this? What happened last time? How is God better? A couple other quick ways that we can... Uh, we can help uh, offset this time of temptation. Uh, one is to seek help here at the entice stage. It's not too late here. As we are being pulled towards these other things that we desire, as we are falling for the trap that is laid for us, that is when we need to invite other people in. And the times that this internal struggle is going on, that's when we most need to not keep things internal. We need to bring other people in. 
We talked about how it's not the fault of other things that are going on around us. This thing isn't causing me to sin. It's our own desires within us. But we can put ourselves in situations where those desires happen less. Or we can get to know ourselves to see when this happens, it is more easier for me to move from desire to being enticed by it to sin, eventually death. And it's in those times that we need to bring other people around us to seek help before it can continue in this path and this progression. And the other way is to not let desire run its full course. To not fully go through this. Even if this is a well-worn path for us, it is not too late. Even if it feels like there is nothing that we can do other than giving into our desires, well, I promise you that there is a different and better way. Even if we feel so alone in this, I promise you that you are not, and I can make that guarantee even if the only person's life I know is my own, because I too feel this this pull towards this path constantly. But it's not too late to choose something else. It's not too late to see the power of a new affection. Our desires have such a strong impact on us. And we often feel like, I want this. Why shouldn't I have what I want? I can't be truly who I am unless if I, I have this, that, that I deserve this. We, we all say these things about what we deserve, and it's a, it's a behavior that's easy for us to correct in a child, but much more difficult for us to correct in ourselves. It's the same problem, it's just different toys. And yet what we're told throughout the New Testament, throughout the Old, throughout the book of James, and it's often in the times that we don't get what we want, that that is when we find joy and maturity and peace and love and a new and better affection. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful that you know what we are like. Consider it joy and trials. Well, that is hard for us. To turn to you in these times, well, we, that fights against everything within us. To respond to money in this way, that's just nonsensical. It's so easy for us to get trapped, enticed, lured by our desires. These desires that are good that you have given us. And yet so often we can put too much emphasis in them. And not just the desires that clearly go against you, but even good things. We can desire good things badly. Help us to be surrounded by people who can, who can stop. Help us stop at the entire stage. Help us to have this mindset that is better, that comes from you that what's going on in the trials is better than us seeking things in temptation. Help us to see that you truly are better than anything else that we might produce or find or have or hold because you are the father of lights. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. So let us turn to you and you alone. Amen.